This is the Jocko Debrief Podcast, episode 22, with Dave Burke and me, Jocko Willink. Dave, what's happening? We have a leadership consultant company, and what we do is we work with a bunch of different companies, and Dave and I and the rest of the team at Echelon Front, sometimes we discuss the leadership challenges that we see. We debrief them. And at one point, Dave and I said, hey, wouldn't it be good if we shared these debriefs with other people so they could learn what we're learning? And so that's what this podcast is. So, Dave, let's debrief. What do you got? When your boss calls you out in public, the biggest issue is actually not the boss. It's your ego and how you react to that. So here's the situation. Working with a company, I'm talking to a sales manager, and he's frustrated about this company's work from home policy that they're about to enact as a response to COVID. So as you might guess, and as you all know, a lot of companies are dealing with this is COVID kicks off, a lot of people are working remotely, working from home has become a thing, and now we're finding the right way to bring people back to work. So how do we get people back to the office, do it smart, do it safe, do it the right way? This sales manager had built and briefed a plan uh, to his boss, the CFO, who he's working for, on how they're gonna execute this return to work plan and what's gonna be the new work from home policy. And he thought he was all good to go, so he briefs the CFO. About three or four days later, he brings his entire team in on a Zoom call, CFO's there. He starts briefing, as part of this meeting, the new work from home policy, and the CFO says, hey, this plan isn't gonna work. So the feedback from him is it goes, hey, he did this in front of my whole team after he helped me build and sign off on the plan. Totally caught this guy off guard. And up until now, the CFO seemed fine with the plan, and now he's against it at the last minute. And he did it in front of his whole team. So as you might guess, this manager I'm working with directly is he's pretty fired up. He's frustrated, he's mad at the CFO. And you know, I understand where he's coming from, and his question is, oh, how do I fix this, or how do I solve this? And it's mostly like, frustration with the CFO for having done that. He make, he made me look bad, and he kind of backstabbed me because he said he was good with the plan. So that's the situation this guy's in, and we're talking about ways to solve this problem. And probably wasn't the most satisfying answer that he got from me, which is, hey, this isn't about the CFO, this is about you. And so how do you solve this? Well, the first thing you gotta do is figure out how to take ownership of this, and you also have to protect your team. And I wanna talk about that for just a minute. I think the first question to ask is, hey, if the CFO doesn't like your plan, this plan that you briefed, if he's got a problem with it, how do you recognize that this is actually your fault? And if your ego's getting out of control and you're frustrated and you're pissed off and you're blaming the CFO, it's gonna be almost impossible to do that. So so we talked a little bit about the CFO. Hey, what does a CFO want for the company? What are his goals? What are his objectives? What, what does he really want? And CFO wants us to make money, he wants us to do well, he wants the team to be successful, he wants sales to go up, he wants revenue to increase. The CFO actually wants us to win, he does. And who does the CFO answer to? He works directly for the CEO, he works directly for the person, in this case, that is in charge. Any idea what the CEO wants? He wants all the same things, he wants us to be successful. So inside of that, that recognition, as frustrated as you are, so how do we win here? How, how, how can he protect his team, take care of his team, and be successful? So and I'll make it kind of binary. There's a lot of nuance inside there, but the bottom line is the sales team, the sales team likes to work from home. They had to do it out of, out of necessity last year, but 
It's actually pretty but sweet now we deal. Like, now yeah. we like wearing pajama yeah. bottoms until noon. Now we're digging it. Yeah. And and listen, they actually have learned how to do what they thought couldn't be done remotely, forced into learning how to do it. They're actually, they're pretty good at it. So it's not, um, it's not beyond understanding that they like this and they're working it, working in a way that's actually still working out. I was going to say the performance metrics can be either the same or they can go up. Yeah. Because now all of a sudden I can do a call at six o'clock in the morning because I can just jump on there and I don't have to drive into commute and all this stuff and boom. Totally. Also, I can talk to more clients every day because yeah. I'm not spending an hour and a half sitting in my car. And I'm more flexible and I could do a night call with this other person because I'm in my office because my office is my house. So there's some legitimate reasons Absolutely. we kind of keep this stuff going a little bit. Totally. And like I said, I'm going to be binary that the sales team likes work from home and the CEO, CFO, they want people back in the office. And, and inside of that is all those things you said. There's legitimacy to both of those sides and all the things that sit inside the middle there. And that's really that's really sort of the crux of this is, is to figure out how do we do this the right way so we don't just sit all the way over here, everybody's back tomorrow, or all the way over here is, hey, we're never coming back to work. There's an answer inside there. And the answer is actually what's best for the team and what's best for the client and what's best for the company. And so how do we get to that? How do we get to what's best? And the path he was heading down was he's mad at the CFO, so his reaction is he's gonna push back. You made me look bad. And he's gonna kinda go on the attack to the CFO for what he did. And what's gonna happen if I go on the attack, if you're my boss and you say, hey, I don't like your plan anymore, and then I push back against you, what's probably gonna end up happening is you and I are gonna go to war. You and I are gonna fight. And the outcome of that, however long it takes, is very likely that you are going to win. Because I'm, I'm one of six sales managers and you're the CFO. So I can go to war all day long and give you all the reasons why I was right and you were wrong and remind you that you backstabbed me. Or I can take a step back and go, all right, hang on. The three or four days from the time that I briefed you to the time that we did this thing, what, what happened? You went and talked to the boss. Did I come back and follow up with you? Did I prep the meeting? Did I ask if there's any changes? Did I ask if you have any additional inputs? Did I do a whole bunch of things I could have done to make sure that we were still aligned? And did I really understand the strategic picture? Because what really needs to happen, there's actually a balance inside there. We can't all come back tomorrow and we can't all sit around in our pajamas for the rest of our lives working from home. We have to do what actually is best. And so if you take the approach of hang on a second, CFO's got some valid reasons, there must be something going on that I missed, some real reason that the CFO is driving this. And if I can say, take a step back and get to understand the bigger picture, what I'm gonna get is rather than a war with you, what I'm gonna get, assuming I actually have a good relationship, which he does, I'm gonna get a compromise. I'm gonna get a, a solution, an incremental solution that I can start from and start to move, which is I can understand the reasons why the boss wants us to come back. I can, instead of saying everybody comes back right away, go, hey, every Tuesday and Thursday, we have all hands company meetings. We wanna do that in person for these reasons. These are the things we're gonna get done. And maybe two days a week, I can start to bring my team back or five days a month or whatever it might be. And I can also tell my boss exactly what you said is, hey boss, some of the benefits from working from home and, and, and extending some of those things is, We've got clients international. We've got clients on East Coast time. We've got some ways to do this from home. Everybody's effective. And what I'll get is, I'll understand the CEO's intent. I'll understand the CFO's intent. And I'll get them to understand my intent. And I'll find something that works for everybody. And then we can start to get to a solution that over time, done incrementally, we actually get to where we need to be. And this was less about exactly what the right solution was. Hey, it has to be this at this interval at this time. The answer was, how do I get to a place where I can take care of my team and take care of the company 
And I don't do that by being mad at you for cutting me off and changing the plan at the last minute. I get that by saying, all right, I missed something. I didn't understand the strategic picture. Hey boss, how can I better understand what you need? And how does this plan look for you? So I can start to move forward to get what you get to get what we want so we can all be successful so we can get to that compromise um, <laughs> I just wrote down my first note was but Dave <laughs> Because we get to hear that all the time, but Jocko, yeah. but Jocko, but Dave, but Dave, but Jay, you know Well when you as soon as you say hey listen, you need to take ownership of this y- y- your CFO they did what they did, but you need to take ownership. And they're like, but Dave, the guy undermined me in front of everybody. I already gave him the brief. But Dave, I already he already signed off on it. But Dave, he helped me put it together. But Dave, this was in front of all my people. There's just but Dave, but Dave, but Dave, but Dave. That's what it is all day long. It's like you were there. <laughs> so so this idea of of hey, the resistance to taking ownership is to say, I get it, Dave. I'm supposed to take ownership, blah, blah, blah. But Dave, here's the real deal. So the butts don't work. They don't work. The only thing you can do is take ownership of what's happening and make adjustments. And that's when you do what you talked about. Here's a, li- a little bit of tactical discussion here. What do you do? What do you do when Jocko, the sales leader, is talking to my team and Dave, the CFO, is on the call and I already went over the plan with Dave and he approved the plan, helped me come up with a plan, and then I'm on the te- on the call talking to my team, and Dave cuts me off and says, hey, actually, Jocko, this plan isn't going to work. What do I do? What do I say? What do I say? Do I get defensive? Do I say, but Dave, we already discussed this? Do I say, but Dave, I already showed you? Do you do that? And do you get defensive? Or do you open your mind up? And do you say, Hey, Dave, I think there's probably some perspective that you've seen since we last talked. You know what? Why don't we just call this meeting for now? I'm going to come down. I'm going to get on a call with you and let me let me let me understand your perspective so we can we can get unified on this. Cuz you know what? My team, we're flexible. We're here to win. So, if you got some insight, I'm ready to incorporate it into the plan. Now, does the team think, "Oh, Jocko just folded like a little baby?" No, they don't think that. As a matter of fact, when my when my when Jocko says, "You know what, Dave? You already you and I already discussed this." If I'm a team member, I'm like, "Jocko, shut up. That's the boss. Man, don't form an antagonistic relationship with the boss. Freaking play the game and get us some wins over here mm-hmm. before we're coming into work seven days a week at six o'clock in the morning till eight o'clock at night. We don't want to do that. We want to work from home. Go build a relationship, Jocko. So when I say, "Hey, Dave, there's probably some things have come up in the last few days. You know what?" Um, we'll make no adjustments to the plan right now. Let, let's you and I get on a call. Let me learn what you learned and, and let's come up with an alternative plan. And you go, hey, sounds good, Jocko. And then we sit down and we come up with an alternative, alternative plan. Humility is a respected trait. It is a respected trait. It's not a disrespected trait. When you get defensive and you're scared and you, and you are protecting your ego, people can see that. And that's what it looks like and that's what it smells like. So don't let that happen. There yeah, I think people get in this idea of like protecting my team means drawing a line in the sand and, and not tolerating anybody encroaching over that line when the exact opposite yeah. is true when you described is, hey, if I push back hard enough, if I actually push back too hard, guess what? I, what's going to happen to me? Dave's not going to be the sales manager anymore. 
and then what happens at the team then? So I wrote down a couple of things. I said, hey, taking ownership solves so many problems. And then the next thing I wrote down was checking the ego helps too. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, uh, sometimes when I I go down these types of discussions and I start saying, well, you know, I'm going to say like, hey, Dave, you you see something that I don't see. Dave, you obviously you see something that I don't see. I'll come to your office and 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 get on a knee and and I'll I'll receive your new ultimate plan. And people are think, oh, you're oh, so what you're saying, Jock, was go kiss ass. Yeah. No, I'm not saying go kiss ass. First of all, I have a relationship with my boss. So they actually do listen to me. Why do they listen to me? Because I listen to them. So I'm not kissing ass. What I'm doing is I'm winning. Because the best thing that you can do to protect your team is have an awesome relationship with your boss. Yep. That's the best way you can, quote, protect your team. That's the best way you can take care of your team is you have an awesome relationship with your boss. So make that your priority. That actually trumps the little work from home plan. So there you go. Yeah. I like it. And the outcome of that was, you know, it was a good outcome because those things you just described is actually what happened. The lesson here for him is how you described it is that conversation of, hey, boss, I guess I, I think I missed something here. Let's sit down and talk through so to better understand some of those gaps and some of the insights you have. The ideal situation is I don't have to come to go, hey, boss, I'm sorry I blew up at you on that Zoom meeting and got <laughs> mad. The ideal way is for me to be able to ta- detach right away, right when that ego starts to flare up and I can do it in real time and go, oh, hey. Hey, let's let's call this complete this for now. Let me come down and figure that out. So I don't have to come back three days later and go, hey, sorry I lost my temper. Sorry I got mad at you. I'm sorry I said those things that I said. And I'm sorry I didn't answer your emails for two days. Hey, let's work this out. So the ability to do what you described in real time, that detachment that we talk about all the time, that's when that needs to happen. We're on the right track here. They do have a good relationship. And it turns out the CEO wasn't sitting on this all or nothing scenario. He just wanted to accelerate bringing people back for obvious reasons. And when we got to that place, this is not gonna be an issue. But that ego man gets in the way. So we're on the right track with that one. That one's I think is gonna be fine. Check, what do we got next? This is a tough one. Good leadership outlasts the leader. And in this particular situation, and this is probably one time where I actually talked to the company about discussing this in sort of explicit detail. There's a company we work with where the CEO of this company passed away. And we know us and they know, uh, we know them and they know us and we have a very, very good relationship. So this was a CEO, a relatively young guy, the heart and soul of this company and about three years ago brought in Echelon Front, Red Extreme Ownership, had a huge impact in his personal and professional life and instituted a massive organizational change by which being technically good at your job is important, but he realized in this technical firm, this engineering firm, they needed to be good leaders as well and made a massive pivot and a massive investment in extreme ownership and the idea that he was gonna build leaders. And as his company was making huge strides, massive growth, unbelievably successful, uh, and, a, and, a, and the glide path was so good that out of nowhere uh, on a weekend, um, he died, totally unexpected, just absolutely came out of left field and nobody saw it coming. It was a shock to them, it was a shock for us, a shock for me, I got to know him really well, we've been with him for a couple years. And so that was the situation, was this totally unexpected situation and the worst possible case situation. You know, he didn't have to retire early, he didn't move, he, he died. And the question that we were getting is sort of, the best way to describe it is what do we do now? 
and they reached out to us and they leaned on us for that. And, and I thought about how best to talk about this because this, this hurt me too. I knew him well. And I thought about the things that we teach and I thought about how we teach them and what they mean. And I thought about where they matter the most. And this is something that obviously you've got a lot of experience with in the military and in our time with that. And I want to talk about that too. But as I was talking to the, the other folks on the team, I said, this is what we, when what we teach matters the most. And I started thinking about the laws of combat. I thought about, I thought about cover and move. The first thing we teach, cover and move. And what that's about more than anything is about relationships. It's about trust and how now more than ever, the relationships they have with each other matter the most, how they're going to need to lean on each other and support each other and be supported by each other, how that will matter more now than it has ever mattered before, the strength of those relationships they've built and how important they're going to be. I thought about the second law of simple and how inside of that concept is communicating in a way that we make sure people understand and how that was more important now than ever is to make sure people understood what we needed to do during this totally awful situation. We talk about prioritize and execute and we use the word detachment all the time. And we're typically talking about we want to be detached from frustration or detached from emotion or detached from our egos. And never have they been in a situation where they're this emotional and how critical it is for us to be detached when people are going to have the hardest time detaching because this is a situation they didn't anticipate and how this is more important now than ever. And then that culmination of all that, of decentralized command, which is the way we talk about it is everybody is a leader and how we push decision-making down. But oftentimes we talk about that in the context of, hey, Dave's the boss, he's going on vacation. Or, hey, I want to empower my people because they're in a better position to solve problems, so they're closer to it, so they should be able to lead. But now we're talking about Dave as the CEO. Dave's gone. Dave's gone. And... If I haven't created and cultivated this idea of decentralized command and my people are so reliant on me that in my absence they cannot execute and they cannot perform, the team fails and the team loses. And so implementing decentralized command has so much more meaning now than it has ever meant before because this leader, this CEO, he's not coming back. And I thought about dichotomy and we talked about even what dichotomy meant. And we were always talking about balancing these opposing forces and now we're talking about how much do we grieve versus how much do we work? And if we spend all of our time grieving at this loss and we don't work anymore, what, ha- what happens to us? What happens to our company? What happens to our team? What happens to our families? And then if all we do is just, hey, get back to work and we don't acknowledge that and spend time and thinking about that and taking care of the family and grieving and doing those things, what is it going to be like to replace the CEO while still living in the spirit of what this, this former CEO wanted and letting this new person in charge be who they are? and what the balance is like inside there. And so what was amazing about this is that inside of all the things we teach, and so often it's taught in this practical sense about particular situations, they understood that they actually had all the tools, they had all the knowledge, all the understanding, and all the ability to get through a situation that they didn't expect, they didn't foresee, and they didn't really plan for it. They weren't thinking in these terms, but now that it's happened, they actually know what to do. They know what to do. And this is a hard thing because there's so much emotion involved, but this is a company that I think is in a position that had this happened two years ago, I think it would have been really, really difficult for them to be successful. And now they're actually in a place where they're going, they're absolutely going to be successful because of what this CEO did and because the path he set them down on. 
and because of what they were able to accomplish while he was still with us, that they're actually going to be successful now that he's gone. And I just thought this one was worth talking about, not just in the practical sense, but because of the emotion that comes along with often people tie that to life in the military. They don't think about it at an engineering firm when the CEO passes away. Yeah, the, the interesting thing and the right answer when, when you start talking about these hard situations is when you get in hard situations, the fundamentals of leadership, the, the fundamentals of leadership become even more important. The worse things get, the more important they are. What's, what's interesting about the principles that we teach is the principles function in all situations. And you don't get to this level of intensity or this level of chaos and say, oh, wait a second, pull out these other principles. You don't get to a situation where you've lost a leader and say, oh, okay, well, now it's time to pull, break glass and pull out these other emergency principles. And we saw a lot of this when COVID kicked off in companies and all of a sudden the market changed or people couldn't come to work or you know any number of things unfolded. We didn't say, oh, here's our you know, pandemic combat leadership procedures. No, the procedures that we use, the procedures that we teach, we have to focus on them harder. We have to make sure that we're following these, these protocols, these, these laws of combat leadership. So that's what we have to do. And, and you know, that, so that's, that's sort of the pragmatic side of, of the answer to this is like, hey, guess what? Here's what we gotta do to get back to work. Here's what we need to move, do to move forward. So that that is a very pragmatic answer. The other part of the answer, you know, you use the term grieve, like, well, okay, this is something we're not normally balancing. So we don't, this is not a normal thing to say, oh, okay, well, now we have to grieve. Okay, what's that look like? Well, a company like this may have never grieved in a unified way before because they might not have had anyone die inside the company before. That's not unheard of. So what is what does that look like? What does this sort of collective grieving look like? And and how do we function through that? And that's some of the things, you know, that, that we did talk about with them of, of like, okay, you know, one thing that I've that I noticed in losing guys and losing friends was that there's we don't have a good protocol in America. <laughs> we don't have you know, in other countries, they have a protocol that they're going to follow. If someone dies, here's the protocol. This is what you're going to do. You're going to eat this food. You're going to say these prayers. You're going to go to this type of ceremony. You're going to go to this other type of ceremony. And then you're going to go to a final ceremony. You're going to have a get together. And then that's it. The grieving is over. That's we followed the protocol. And now we are going to essentially move on. And everyone accepts that that's the level of grieving that's going to be done. And there's different variants about this throughout the world. In America, we, we have so many different, we have so many different types of people in America and, and so many different protocols have been, you know, through this country that it's kind of watered down and it's different for different communities and different people. So different cultures, yeah, that's what the, really the word is different cultures. So many different cultures are in America that the protocol of death, which doesn't happen very often in people's lives, we don't have a great protocol for it. So what happens to us in leadership positions is we need to sort of formulate a protocol or pick a protocol 
And I hate, oh, look, it's like disturbing to use the word protocol when you're talking about losing someone. But there's a reason that I'm using that word because if you don't have a protocol to follow, it's like when you're flying a jet, Dave, and there's, there's something that happens, there's some emergency signal comes on, there's a protocol that you follow that you don't have to think about, that you're gonna execute, that's gonna get you out of that situation. You know, when we have a parachute malfunction, there's a protocol to follow. I'm not, I'm not creatively making up decisions of how I'm gonna handle when my parachute's not working. No, I'm gonna follow the protocol because I don't want to be thinking at this point. So that's why I think this idea around protocol is something to say, okay, here's what we're going to do. And I, I think that's the right move. Does this mean that at the end of you go through these ceremonies, you go through these procedures, you go through this protocol that everyone goes, oh, great, now it's over, now we can move on? No. But you also can make part of that protocol. Hey, listen, here's what we're going to do to in memory of. Here's a, a thing that we're going to set up. Here's a scholarship that we're going to set up. Here's a, an annual run that we're going to do. Here's a, a, a party that we're going to have on this date. You know, you, There's things that you can do that, that then extend the, re, the remembrance and you make sure that you, you remember, but you don't dwell. Remember what happens. You remember the people, but you don't dwell in, those, in that because now we're living in the past. And no one wants you to be living in the past. So definitely a difficult situation. And it was really neat to see that company close ranks, which is a term we use in the military, which means we're going we're gonna to stick together. And it was really neat to see that company close ranks and, and move through that and continue when continue to move forward and continue on that great trajectory that they have in what they're doing great business great people and amazing to see what they're doing yeah and you know we all talk about the outcome obviously this is an ongoing thing it's this is just like you said there's no ending to this of like hey on this particular day this is all behind them but my final thought on that is something you've talked about all the time too which what allowed them to close ranks like you said is when you make your people the mission when you make your people the most important thing and you take care of them and you give them these tools and you invest in them as people, not as engineers, not as some particular skill or task. And that's important, but that's not what the priority is. The priority is, is giving them the things. And this is true for business. This is true for family. This is true anywhere. When you give them the things that they need so they can be successful without you, when the time comes for them to be able to do things without you, whatever it is, they're able to do that. And that's what they need so they can be successful. And I'm not saying you run around Reminding everybody every five seconds, this could all end today. We know that's true, but it doesn't even have to be those extreme situations. What you have to be able to give them is the tools for them to be successful without you for a whole host of reasons. And God forbid something like this happens, which it does. What you want more than anything is for them to be able to be okay and to be able to close ranks. And what's inside that is exactly what you said is those fundamental things that we teach apply everywhere. And there is no hidden Oh, when you're ready for it, and we don't do this at Echelon Front, there is no, oh, you've now demonstrated you're a master of these basic skills, we're ready for the next set of things. It's, that's not how it is. It's the same thing. How it applies, where it applies, and how to do it. Certainly that changes from, from situation to situation, but it's those fundamental principles that you can connect to every single situation in your life, from the best ones to the worst ones, is what allows them to close ranks and be successful, despite how bad the things are. Yeah. Uh, I guess it's my turn. And well, I, I wanted to I wanted to 
get a little bit pragmatic and a little less theoretical than I normally on am on the debrief podcast. I wanted to cover. I wanted to cover uh, some ideas around project management, and there's a reason for this. There's a reason why I'm going here, and you'll see. Uh, project management. So there's, I, 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 you know, we see a lot of projects being undertaken, and that's great. We work with incredible project managers in a ton of different industries, and there's some great sort of protocols for doing projects and running projects. I have some some golden rules here. I just went on the internet and and checked out some golden rules and some rules of project management. The first one I got, this little list here from this thing called Huger, which is an app, like a, it's like a, like a cooperative application that you can use. I've ne- never used it, looked nice, whatever. But they had a, a seven golden rules. Have a detailed project scope approved by stakeholders. Have the right and right-sized team. Set frequent milestones, set clear roles and responsibilities, don't micromanage, reward the team when milestones are reached, and build in extra time for changes. So there's some good rules, good rules for project management. I found another set of rules for project management from a website called toughnickel.com. They recommend that you understand the scope, that you understand the goals of the stakeholders, that you plan, that you have contingency plans, that you communicate with the team, that you test early and you prototype, that you monitor, that you report to the client and manage expectations, that you deliver, and that you hold a wrap-up slash lessons learned meeting. So there's some other good rules for project managers. And this is all good stuff, and I appreciate it. And there's a bunch of other great pieces of advice out there and rules and suggestions for good project management. But before you get into any of those rules, I want to, I want you to Im- implement one rule to start this whole thing off. I want you to make this the top of the list of every project management list of rules that you look at in your life. And the rule, the number one rule, as far as I'm concerned, for project management is that not everything is a project. Not everything is a project. You don't need a big plan for everything. You don't need to discuss with the stakeholders. You don't need to set milestones. You don't need to test. You don't need to prototype. Sometimes, sometimes what you can do is you can just do. That's what you, sometimes you can just do. Or sometimes you can delegate someone on your team to just do. They can do the thing. Or sometimes you can even take a whole team and you can say, hey team, you go do that thing. And you can also take a project, what looks like a project, and you can split it up into two or three execution steps and you're done. So, hey, you do this, you do that, you do the other thing. There's the three things, we're gonna get them done. No project, like I said, no stakeholder discussion, no milestones set out. This is what you're gonna do, go do it. Yeah, so you gotta think through it. You gotta run the numbers. Before you figure if something's a project or not, you gotta kinda do the calculus, and the calculus isn't hard, right? Here's one part of the calculus, what's gonna take longer? 
to come up with a plan or to freaking execute. <laughs> okay? What's gonna take longer? Is it gonna take longer to come up with a plan or is it gonna take longer to execute? Could we beat the planning with just executing? And you put the calculus is like, oh, we're gonna make a couple mistakes along the way because we didn't come up with the best plan, but we're still gonna beat the plan. So, so run that calculus. Run the calculus. How many moving parts are there? How many moving parts? How many things have to line up to make this happen? Is it more than four or is it less than four? Is there more than four things that you have to line up to make this whatever thing happen? If it's more than four, you probably have a project. If it's less than four, you don't. You can make it happen. Like if I've got a, hey, get a document done, get it reviewed, and and send it to our lawyer. Is that a project? Nope, that's three things. We can get them done. Also, how many different teams are involved? Not people, but how many different legitimate teams are involved? Is it more than four or is it less than four? Because if it's three teams, I can manage three teams. We can get it done. We don't need a project management on this scenario. If it's more than four teams, well, guess what? I I need someone. We need to think through it. So ask yourself these questions. And then you got to ask yourself this question. You got to put a little check on yourself. And the check is, what do you tend to do? What, what is your tendency as a human? Are you a human that executes or are you a human that creates projects? Because if you have a tendency to just go and execute, then you need to check yourself because you might bite off more than you can chew. That happens. There's some people that just, their tendency is just to go. Guess where I lean? <laughs> yeah, you know where I lean. We're executing. This is a tendency I have to pay attention to. I know that I can make things easier in my head than they are in real life. I know that I do that. I do that with uh, one of the first people I remember doing that with is Jade Charles, Echo's brother. Uh, there's some, you know, he's a computer guy. And I was sort of like, bro, we'll just make, cha- you know, hey, just make that. And it was a lot bigger of a project than I could have understood. <laughs> So where are you? If you're a person that tends to execute, recognize that. And you also might be a person that tends to create projects and, a, and you tend not to get things executed. And that's what you have to pay attention to. And then you have to weigh your decision properly. You have to put the weight in the right spot. And by the way, you can make iterative decision making if you're gonna execute a project or not. I could say, hey, Dave, this is what we're looking at doing. Why don't you do an assessment? See what it'll take. That's the first little step. I didn't organize a project. I just told Dave to go check something out. So that's my number one rule of project management. Not everything is a project. Check yourself. Little pragmatic information. (laughs) Got anything on that, Dave? I just love the idea of your what your natural tendencies are uh, and i'm glad you caveated it with if your tendency is um to just go then you probably need to just keep yourself in check a little bit but the alternative is when you see people realize oh are you saying this isn't that hard and we can just go do it 
how liberating it is to go, hey, just go do it. We had this thing in the military called a POAM, Plan of Action and Milestones, yep. which is like some giant binder that covers every single thing you had to get done. When we stood up a brand new fighter squadron, we used a POAM. It was 20 different agencies and 40 different this, and it was a massive thing. There aren't too many other things that you really needed a POAM for. <laughs> how many aircraft at your squadron? Six, 14. 14. How many? How, how much are those worth? 133 million each. How many personnel were at the command? Hundreds from three different private companies and two different military services. And, and how, many, how much real estate did you need? Yeah. You know, how much gear and equipment did you have? Right. Oh, and you had to have operational readiness. So yeah, you yeah. can see that. That sounds like it might be a yeah, project. Yeah, need a poem there. No, absolutely. <laughs> but don't get shackled by the poem. And like you start getting lower and lower. And like, hey, just go execute. <laughs> so if anything, just yes, keep yourself in check. But just move that needle. People love when you just like you can just go do this. Yeah. It's like oh, is this is this this handcuff off? Yes, handcuffs off. Go execute. Just go make it happen. Do whatever you want. Yeah, and for me. I look at things like kind of like a fire team, right? I can handle four oh, people dude. all day long. I, just like I can handle moving parts. Like there's three moving parts, four totally. moving parts, we're, we're probably good. That's such a good number. There's three, four teams I gotta kind of work together with, cool. We get bigger than that, I'm, I know I'm gonna lose it. And by the way, if you have three or four moving parts times three or four moving teams, well now you got some calculus to do. This might be a project. Yeah. Know what you tend to do. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a good place to stop. Hey, if you want any more of this information, you can check out extremeownership.com. That's our online training academy. You had a question about what we're talking about? You want to know if something's a project or not? You want to ask us about what to do in tough situations? Get on there, extremeownership.com. We're on there live. You, we're on there doing Zoom calls. Do we have pajama bottoms on? Sometimes. Do you have pajamas? Do you even have pajamas? I don't own pajamas. I don't either. I got workout <laughs> shorts on, probably more than I want to admit. Uh, so you can check that out. We have our consulting company where some of these stories, well, where these stories come from, echelonfront.com, bunch of books about leadership, bunch of podcasts, and Jocko store, jockofuel.com, originusa.com. Check that stuff out if you want to support. We appreciate it. Thanks for listening to us debrief. Now go out there, check yourself, and lead. This is Dave and Jocko.